0: Thing you need to know about these p, go, uh, meta, omega complexity classes. You will do your homeworks, you will figure out uh, in more detail these things, but import- it's important that you understand the class, so that when we start talking about algorithms, you can easily understand which Methods fall in the linear class or or n log n or quadratic exponential algorithms. We don't repeat all these definitions as we did last week and what will happen in your next week's uh, homeworks. Was there any questions about, about these classes? Big O is something that's not more than um, some class, so it, of course sometimes algorithms can be faster. Your code could be uh, in favorable conditions can give the solutions faster. Uh, so when we talk about worst case analysis, Big o is what we look for. Um, I think we sort of hand-waved a little bit about the quicksort that in the worst case it will take quadratic time but later t- today or, or next time we will see uh, that trying to verify that on average on average uh, quicksort would take n log n time and that's why it's so good big theta is when we know exactly the complexity class of some function or some some algorithm. Um, this big omega is bounded from below, so we will have a look that we will try to prove that no matter what, it's not possible to do sorting quicker than n log n. Assuming that we just compare two values, which one is 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 one larger or not. If you get Yes, no answer by this comparison, then no algorithm can be faster than n log n operations. Anything about this? Everything is crystal clear? Um, And that, yeah, I think I have been saying that worst case analysis is usually what we care most about. Average case is quite tricky to analyze because that is. Statistically expected value of what is the average expected value and uh, That can be um, quite tricky to make all the assumptions about all the inputs about the average cases And who cares about the single best case? Sort, sort the array that was already sorted in linear time is trivial. Who cares about that? Uh, but of course as, as, as we have been saying that The asymptotic analysis is about asymptotic. What happens when n tends to infinity, the input size. In practice, you have realistic input sizes. For example, if you have 20 elements always, never more, then it's not even sensible to make any recursive uh, programs. You just use some simple uh, non-recursive quadratic time algorithm to solve 20 elements, and that that would be probably faster uh, in most cases, um, that's why, also, in the, when you do recursive analysis, you could say that if the data set, if the subset is small enough, then you just solve it by some other means. Because then it will be sort of constant time for this small number of elements. Okay, and uh, we will start slowly moving into, into, the, into the data structures. Abstract data types, etc. And we start from the most simplest linear thing. You have all the basics, so I will I will try to go faster over some (coughs) places. So you should slow me down if something goes too fast. Almost everything that you know, how you store files on the disk. I mean, the random access memory, almost everything is linear somehow. When we talk about linear order, then, of course, you could ask for different kinds of things, look at the kth element, or, or, or what will happen if you want to insert something. And now we get into details, you know, that if, if this is physically in the memory, if they are next to each other, you can't insert anything in deep feed have to free up the space and then insert. So if we talk about linear and say that this is a very physical, somehow physical array, then any insertion will require that we organize a lot of elements to make this one operation possible. So for when we talk about linear or sequence then Of course, the the typical uh, ways to to think about these are either arrays or lists, linked lists, where you can have the pointers, and then the linear order does not need to be physically next to each other. Uh, As I said, memory files, I mean the disk, uh, the files on the disk, actually the files on the disk are not in one single Uh, length they can be uh, linked to each other so file system will take care of this how the file is organized. Uh, You will uh, get uh, all kinds of fragmentation problems both in memory or on disk so that's why you you may have the garbage collection or disk defragmenters that try to organize these bits more sensibly on the on the memory or disk respectively. Now, just copied from the Wikipedia, you know data structures are arrays, you can think of uh, simple arrays that you can think about about the bits, uh, different types of uh, uh, buffers and queues, uh, images are nothing but matrices of, of uh, numeric values characterizing the, the color of every pixel, you can uh, have arrays that are sorted. Once they are sorted, you can perform uh, binary searches. Uh, matrices might be sparse, so only a few elements in the matrices. All these are linear data structures, but you need to handle somehow on the in the memory. And I'm not going to ask all of these just to give you the impression that in the, when we talk about arrays, there are still a rich set of things that can be done when you go to lists, then you can of course have single or double linked lists Uh, there we will learn about uh, skip lists that allow us to perform efficient searches on the linked lists Uh, some more exotic things like XOR linked lists it's a double linked list but without you don't need two pointers you just need one pointer to represent double-link, uh, things like that. So this is the uh, what we are going to look at, how to also go into these, some of the complexity analysis on the sorting, uh, binary search, uh, lower bounds, analysis of algorithms, but before we go there, a uh, little bit of repetition of the basic data structures. So, uh, of course, in the case of arrays, you reserve some memory, you have some maximum size of the array. What happens when your size grows full? If you, within the large array, for example, you keep adding elements, you can, of course... uh, Well, the trick is, of course, uh, you can start indexing either from uh, 0 or 1, depends on the programming language. Uh, one off by uh, index, so array position 0 is sometimes the first element, or in here array index 0 is off the array, so out of of memory, out of uh, the valid range. Uh, What happens when, in, in this way of course you can, you know the stack, you can add elements to the end, you can remove elements from the end, uh, what happens when the arrays become full? You just throw an exception or something, right? But your program should not crash, so we may need to do something to allocate new memory, etc. Uh, this is single array, two-dimensional arrays. You can all fit in the same physical order and then you just index uh, this, for example, the, this element is on the, on the third array, you know how large each, each uh, dimension is, so from third, the third position, so this element is uh, uh, the row, number of rows, um, wh- what is the size of one row plus the index to that location. So two-dimensional array you can fit in a single-dimensional array. Or you can make an array that has pointers to these single-dimensional arrays. And of course, both ways you can generalize not to two dimensions, but you can go to 17 dimensions if you wanted to. Uh, on the lists, the typical operations, and now, now we talk about it a little bit more abstractly. So you have a list, what kind of, of operations you want to have. Access the k element. access some element, be it first, last, k, whatever access it, read what is the value, change the value, uh, delete it, add a new element in some position. So get access, change, insert, delete our main operations. Now we, now we talk very abstract level about operations. So this is abstract data type. You don't need to care about is it implemented as a, an array, as a linked list, as a tree. These are operations that you could implement on top of arrays, linked lists, binary search trees, equally, but uh, well, any data structure, those would support these elements, right? So we have abstract data type, uh, which is defined really by High level definition of, uh, of what type of collection we have and what types of operations we allow on the data. We don't tell in the abstract data type how it should be implemented as a data structure, underlying data structure. Uh, therefore, you can easily, in fact, replace the data structure to something else. And uh, some of the are data types, uh, vectors, lists, stacks, queues, double-ended queues, priority queues, uh, lookup tables or, or uh, but basically dictionary type, associative array and, and map. Depends now on the programming language speak. These are usually uh, dictionaries. Set, multi-set, do you allow repetitions, etc. These are all mathematical abstract types that you can implement in different data structures. Uh, so data type or abstract data type is set of values, what do we store, and uh, what are the operations, how do we access and modify these? And it's abstract when if and only if it's completely described by the set of operations without knowing how they are implemented, just, we have the interface, definition of the interface. Uh, Dictionaries hold key-value pairs, Uh, for example, you can think of the telephone book, the key is the name of the person, the value is the phone number, or you can reverse it. If you reverse it, then number. Every phone number is there once, but if you have the names, then you could have multiple names repeating and they each have different phone number. So dictionary, uh, now it depends do you allow multiple keys or not. Uh, stacks, queues, uh, double, uh, either first in first out, uh, so basically the the queue where you add elements to the end, but you remove from the beginning. You add to the end, you remove from the beginning, you add, 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 add. This was the oldest, you remove, right? double the queue you could decide whether you behave like a stack. You add it, you remove it, you add, add, you add, 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 then you remove, remove, remove. Or you take the oldest. double the queue you can choose to remove the newest or the oldest. Uh, priority queue, whatever the you throw in, you ask back the highest priority element, the largest value or the smallest value. Dictionary, I said the key and element. Um, you index on the key, but it comes with some associated data. The element, you insert certain key with some auxiliary data. Uh, When you remove a pair, you just need to say the the key, and then you delete the auxiliary data as well. You may ask to uh, find find is the key in the dictionary or not? Or you could ask is the dictionary empty or not? In this way, you could do easily. Find some key, remove, find, remove, until it's empty. Once you have the dictionary, sometimes you may want to have the ask but what is alpha numerically, alphabetically or, or n- numerically the previous element or the next element? If you have the ability to have the pre- previous and next element, you could store somewhere the smallest value and then iterate over every element in sorted order as what is, okay, I have the smallest value, I delete it, what is the next value? I delete it, what is the next value? And you get a sorted access to the data. If you think about the hashing, you throw in all the key element pairs in the hash map. We will look at these hash maps again, just to memorize it. So there is no way to know what, which value is the alphabetically next or previous. Yeah. You just ask for one key, is it there or not. You don't know what the next key should be. So uh, keep uh, adding these, uh, repeating dictionaries, maps, associative arrays, uh, it depends again on the programming language, roughly they always talk about the same thing. But you don't need to care anymore what is the implementation underneath, right? When you program. In here, you need to care about that. How do we store elements in the dictionary? Do we use binary search trees? Do we use hashes? What types of hashes? Uh, do we use uh, linked lists, etc.? Set. Every element is once. Multi-set. Multi- yeah, multi-map, there could be uh, keys, could be repeated multi-set uh, elements, elements would be repeated. Uh, but then, of course, we go to the strings, trees, graphs, uh, etc. Now, the abstract data type, as simple as this dictionary, could be implemented by many different ways. Uh, we can have just unordered arrays, just all the elements in the array. Of course, to ask is some element in or not, you would have to go through all of them to make sure that none of them was the key. Uh, If you have ordered arrays, then you can do much more efficient search, like binary search, that you have been measuring. And Did you know that it was as fast as you calculated? Did you know? Was that a surprise or not, how fast binary search was? Not. Uh, but you don't know how to make binary search tree uh, binary search over the list at the moment, do you? Uh, so the skip lists, for example, help to order data and still allow efficient searches, or of course binary search trees. The binary search trees, binary search tree itself is simple, but the question is how to make sure that it doesn't get out of balance. If binary search tree gets out of balance, then you have a linear list, and you haven't gained anything. So we have to keep binary search trees balanced dynamically, because you don't know in which order you get elements in. Dictionary, you get elements in some order, and your data structure has to respond to these new elements. Your data structure has to be dynamic, in most of the cases. Uh, And, Ways to balance binary search trees would be uh, AVL trees, uh, Addison-Welski, trees, or red-black trees, for example. Or the generalization from the binary search tree to larger branching factor, like 2-4 trees, B trees. B trees can be N-way. Instead of binary choice, B trees have much broader branching factor. Uh, ok, so this is for dictionary types, we, you know intuitively that there are many ways to implement them. Uh, but uh, when you start programming, of course you start from primitive types like boolean, uh, characters, integers, floating points, double, whatever the different uh, primitive data types. And then by composing them together in structures, records, uh, in the arrays, you can get these larger chunks as as the data type, right? And these data types can be then used as as elements. For example, uh, you can behind behind some key, the element can be very complex. So but we don't usually talk about these abstraction um, so much in here. Uh, trees are even much larger choice of uh, different ways how to implement trees. Uh, binary, more than n uh, n-way trees, different heap structures, uh, the different ways to index. Uh, this is a trie. This is a tree-like index. But come the trie word. TRI comes from retrieval. T R I E from the word retrieval that's why they are tries. Uh, then, multi-dimensional data requires their own different indexing structures. And then of course you have heard about the syntax trees. Syntax tree is abstract concept, but when you parse the programming language, then you create a syntax tree for the particular uh, program, right? So there will be different uh, implementations of trees in different applications. Um, Of course your memory is uh, bounded uh, by how many many things you can keep in mind at one single time but that's why you need to have the general understanding roughly behind the concepts. And then most of these things can be very quickly looked up or sort of understood how you would do one or the other thing. Uh, Hashing. For hashing, there are different ways, um, many different, of course, hash functions, but then how do you organize the data? How do you organize the collisions? How do you avoid the collisions? Can you make perfect hashing where there is never collisions? In the case of dynamic data, you cannot, but in the case of static data, like a set of keywords in the programming languages, you know that by the design of the programming language, it's a limited set. Then you can make perfect hashes to hash certain limited set, uh, and then of course uh, different uh, graphs, etc. Okay, so so this is uh, this is what uh, again what what is to come in the course, and let's again look at the. Basics. Maybe I should uh, move over in here uh, quicker. I'm, I'm going to step s- to stop at certain position. So insertion. You increase the size. You copy the elements. It, you insert the value. Uh, if you want to delete last, you just move the particular size smaller. So that is a constant time. But insertion, in general case, is O n because you don't know how many co- elements you need to, need to copy, right? Maybe you need to copy half, maybe you need to copy 90% of the elements. It's a linear type operation. Accessing, random access, of course, is constant time. Insertion to end is constant time. Deletion from end is constant time. But insertion in general, you have to re- free up space, linear time. Deletion, you have to squeeze in the empty space, linear time. And if this, if this is not sorted, then search takes linear time to go through the elements. Uh, other operations that you may want to do on the lists is how, how big is the list? How many elements? Um, so in the case of array, you have the by the set, size somehow, but in the case of linked list, you don't know how many elements there is unless you maintain the size of the list all the time. Right? You you can maintain the size with uh, constant overhead. Sorting, you know, uh, combining multiple lists in together or splitting one list to bits, uh, to, indip- uh, to two or more lists, making copies, so intuitively you already know that making the copy, of course you copy every element, that is a linear time operation. Your stack, first in, last out, Data structure, you push to the end, you pop from the end, of course it's very simple, constant time. Now, array storage requires this problem that when you want to insert, you have to make squeeze in the space, right? You have to copy, empty the space, insert something. That's why the linked lists are nicer, because you, you can just, by repointing the pointers, the next pointer, you just add something in between. And of course in the memory or in the disk it could be in different locations. Uh, If you want to add sometimes to the end then you better keep the tail link. Then you can add to the end and move the tail to the new location. Uh, Why do we need the double-ended queues? Of course deletion you just uh, uh, jump over. If you if you if you want to delete this, in order to delete this, you have to have a pointer to the previous element, right? And if this is single linked, you just point to this. You can't get access to the previous element. So therefore, you either find it from the list, and then you jump over this deleted. Um, or you somehow make, need to make sure that you have the linked all the time maintained the previous element. But that would be cumbersome. So that's why a double linked list would be easier. If you want to delete this element. From this you, you knew the pointer to the next. And you knew the pointer to the previous. So you go to the previous and jump over. You go to the next and you jump over. So that's why locally you need just one pointer. One um, Pointer to this element. But again, but in here we start wasting space in a way, right? We have two pointers per element. If element is small, the pointers can be, they require 64 bits, well, eight words in your, eight bytes in your uh, memory nowadays. Uh, okay, so you know everything in here. So let's look again, arrays and single linked lists. So, accessing the kth element in the array is you just index kth element, it's constant time. But insertion in between, somewhere in the array, you have to free up space to make the insertion. So, that is linear time. Uh, If if you want to access or insert or delete uh, after, before or after the last element, then that is easy because then you just make that happen. Uh, when you have single-linked lists, the head of the list, the first element is easy to deal with. Uh, the last element uh, depends if you have the link. If you have the tail pointer, then it's, it's quick because you know the access to that immediately. But anything in between, you would have to go through to get in between and do some operations. So that's why accessing changing kth element in the linked list, in the single-linked lists uh, is uh, linear time. Too slow, red, in here. Uh, single linked list compared to double linked list, then when you have access, when you want to access the kth element and do something with that, so that was quick if you had also the pointed to the previous element. Uh, if you had not, you would have to find it first. In the double linked list, it's quick because you can look at the previous and the next. Uh, But just if you you have double linked list and somebody says find the 753rd element, you would have to go through to the 753rd element, and that makes it linear time to access the kth element. So array, single linked list, double linked list, you can see the Efficiency of individual operations. And it's up to you to know which operations are frequent, which operations you need to uh, perform frequently, uh, uh, which of these data structures you need at that moment. But you can argue easily what is the complexity of a single operation in each one of these typical implementations, right? Um, I think I will not uh, talk about these uh, pointers. uh, uh, How many feel insecure dealing with the pointers in memory? Nobody feels insecure, so everybody can program in pointers. Is that right? No? Uh, Which programming language are you using? Python. Uh, I will give you something for Python as well. So, but normally these examples would be with the C-like approaches uh, that uh, you have structures and pointers and then uh, how to... The, to this pointer you assign memory, a new node, somehow it could be objects in object-oriented, it's, it's very similar and then you have to... then you can modify these sort uh, of values in here and the next previous pointers you, you add null to the next pointer so you can go through the list until the null pointer and uh, make the new node and then make the link happen right and then you can go through the list in c++, c++ you usually reserve either certain element number of elements in way. how big how many elements you, you want to reserve of one type if your node is of certain data type, it could be multiple, uh, multiple uh, fields Then, uh, reserving 20 uh, elements of type uh, node, you can make it sort of like an array. Or you just say how much memory you want to allocate. Memory allocation of, of how much memory size of a single node gives you exactly that many bytes you, you want to reserve that many uh, ele- uh, bytes in the memory, and then do something or later free up uh, this memory chunk. If you want to do 20 elements in one row, like in here, you just say that size of a single node times 20, so that's how much memory you get. And then you can address p plus 10 is which element in the list of 20 in the C. P plus 10 is P is a pointer to the first element of the array. P plus 10 is 11 11 So, memory allocation, of course, you allocate memory, or, or with the new, well, depends on, again, the programming language, you, uh, how this exactly happens, but you, you create, reserve memory and later you better free it up. Sometimes you have garbage collection, if no pointers point anymore to that location, then programming Java virtual Machine may be able to identify that this is something that nobody can care anymore about because nobody has a pointer to this, therefore we can remove it and rearrange the memory. But, you better think about the garbage collection when you uh, deal with objects. Okay, so pointer arithmetics is something that you definitely should should understand at least on the principle level, even if your programming language doesn't directly support pointers for a good reason. (laughs) But, you can still implement all the pointers uh, for the education, at least for the education purposes, or in your simple code, if you use Python in this uh, in this course, you can always implement the pointers by just having integer arrays. In this case, it's three arrays: next key and previous, and the index uh, third element. You can always look up in each one. Does Python start from zero or one? Zero. From zero. So. This is some other programming language you don't know about. So the third element, uh, the key of the third element is, of course, from the key table you you index by 3, you get the value 8. If you want to get the uh, next pointer out of the third element, head is on the third, the list starts from the third element, next, 3 is 5, so the next element is in the fifth position. The value is 4. 8, 4, next is 1, 7. 8, 4, 7, so this doubly linked list you can represent physically with these three integer arrays. You can generate your own structures in in this array notation and all your pointers suddenly are just integers. It makes it very easy to debug. Have a small case, small uh, test program, and you debug by just printing what the values are. Printing the pointers to memory is much tougher, right? <laughs> much more challenging. You can do it, but it's more challenging. So, in here, you can just print out these integers. Uh, Then memory handling on top of this thing in here, three elements in the linked list, but all the seven other positions are free, right? So that is our free memory. So how do you handle the memory? Is you have another list that is all the free elements in the of the array. Starts from the sixth node. Uh, 6th is free, 7th is free, 2nd is free, 4th is free, and that's it, the null pointer. You can use 0, or minus 1. If your code starts from 0, then use minus 1, for example, as the null. If you want to allocate a new object, you you just say that uh, the the new object is uh, free, the 6th column will be taken to use, and the free is next from the current free, so the next new free starts from the 7th. So now we have freed up the 6th element in here. Uh, We have allocated a new object which points to the 6th in here. And freeing object is just uh, um, next of x, that pointer will point to free, and free the current head of the list. And the new head of the list will be the new X that you just freed up. Right? You can manage your memory in very explicitly in that race. Didn't you do that in the algorithms and data structures? No. Sorry? Did. You did. And uh, this is your memory management. You can have the list of three uh, elements, three free, nodes in this. Uh, you can have in the same area, you can have multiple lists. Uh, first list starts from the element three, our previous old uh, list. but the, sec- the other list starts from six and seven, right? So two, uh, two elements in this. Uh, the second linked list with the values 3 and 9. And the free list contains currently two elements, starts from 2, and the next one is 4, and then the null pointer. So there is no excuse that you, your programming language doesn't support pointers, you just can use arrays, for example. Um, of course, you, you don't know, maybe in advance, how big the array you should take. You, you, you grab 10 times more than you need. And then you complain that you run out of memory. or you could organize it so that you you add chunk by chunk. so you you have uh, you allocate thousand elements at one time, but then you could index uh, double sort of like find the correct uh, index and then the correct position. So you can actually really manage your memory if you wanted to. Uh, so nineteenth element is is uh, two and five. If this is 7, 14, 19th is the, in the third list, the fourth element. No, sorry, the fifth fifth element. Uh, 14 plus 5 is, is 19, right? So you can make some abstraction yourself. Um, Okay, so this is some. I'm switching uh, gears at the moment. So this is a element with a double-linked list. And the next one points to there. Previous one points to here. What I promised you was something where. You don't want to have two pointers, but you still want to have access to next and to the Um, previous. Let A be a pointer, it could be integer, right? To there, B to there and c to there. So, so you, how do you normally pass the linked lists? You start from the beginning, you go next, 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 right? So you come here. Um, I have two. So basically this is what we usually have. Next and previous, right? But now what can be done in here is if at the B, B we instead of having the pointer to A and pointer to C, we have the XOR of A and C. Imagine having a, in here A XOR C. You come from A, you have got the address of B, and you, you, your next one in here is A, XOR, C. What do you do? If you do uh, this one, XOR A, what is this? You came from A, you have gained access to it here, in here is A, XOR, C, and What happens if, if we now do XOR with A again? A is cancelled out, cancel out and, and C remains. So coming from here and having A XOR C XOR A, we get C, the pointer to there. If we come from this direction, we know C. We know A XOR C. If we do XOR with the C, we have left. So you can you can go through the list one way or the other way and start only have one pointer. You better make it integer uh, in here. It is kind of it is hack, I'm not saying that you should do that, but this is XOR linked list. Double linked list, but with a single pointer. Mm. Sorry? it has uh, disadvantages. I'm sure <laughs> it has. <laughs> yeah. Especially it's hard to debug. Right? You have to you have to be very careful to make it But it's possible. Have you gained anything in complexity wise? Nothing. The operations are a constant time. We just Use it either more memory, twice more memory, or twice less. Any constant in this complexity analysis you can ignore. Is it two or 200? You can ignore. Actually, if you want to, for example, delete the gate element, then you have to use more time than using a standard. You would have to, yeah. You would have to, like in the linked list. I think you would need to have at least access to one of the other, no, one of the neighbor. Right? Yes. Okay, uh, queues and stacks, and double-ended queues. Um, if you if you have a, a stack, then you just add to the end, add to the end, add to the end, and then delete from the end. Um, if you have the queue, you add to the end, but you need to remove from the beginning, right? Imagine you reserve a lot of space. You add, and you start removing. You add, you start removing. Your data structure may contain only 10 elements at any given time, but of whatever you chose as the area, you will run out of the space. What do you do? a second. Okay, raise hands who knows how to implement the cyclic buffer. Oh. So you need to have the point at the first, last. So basically what you do is, um, that is what we want. We want to, this to be, to be like an array that is a cycle, and then you just keep doing how many circles you need in here forever. And how do you do that? Is of course you use modular arithmetic. So whenever you flow over, you start again from the beginning. If it's larger than maximum size, then it becomes zero. Okay? So your elements, your you add what well, you add to here, always you remove from here, and when you first time cross the when you first time cross the boundary, then with the modular arithmetic you Reappear there, right? So maybe you will be able to catch up with the front or, or, the, or the oldest element, uh, first and last element. If you keep adding elements to the last, of course, you will catch up and then you run out of memory. Then your buffer becomes full. But that's what you can do, right? And you have to be again careful looking at uh, what are the conditions for when the when the q is empty they equal to each other it becomes full when you have filled in the last element there has to be one in between so if l plus one is in modular arithmetic is f then it's full when l and f are equal then it's empty And, and in this way you just uh, apply this modulo every time and you, when you fall over then you reappear. reappear. So basically we you have, you have achieved this continuous buffer where you can keep moving ahead and then the tail of the train you can delete from there. You can add new wagons in the beginning and remove the ones from the end. So with the queue we always add to the end and always fetch from the beginning. So the first that went out or the oldest, uh, first that went in, that is the oldest one and that is the first one to come out next. So this is a, your normal queue, right? People appear at the end of the queue and they, they service that from the beginning of the queue. and. All the implementations, of course, you want to have again constant time operations for all of these. Stack is you add only to the end, you pop from the end again, constant time operation, and that gives us uh, raise hands who have calculated in reverse polish notation. Most of you so. Reverse Polish notation is sort of stack-type uh, thing. You start pushing to the stack, 5, 4, 3, and then you need to multiply. You know that the last two elements, 4 and 3, will be multiplied together. So therefore, 5, 4, 3, you multiply, you have 12. In the stack, would be 5 and 12 and 2. Then you do minus. If it's defined as 12 minus 2, you put the answer 10 back. 5 and 10 add together uh, is 15 and I hope that this is exactly this, right? So in the reverse Polish notation with a stack you add to the end, you know that when you do operation you take pop from the end, you do operation, put the result back, so there is no need to store anywhere the parentheses. Using this stack, very simple interpretation, uh, the fourth, the programming language for example was exactly this, you always deal with the top of the stack, you add new elements or when you do operations you do with the top elements from the stack and you put the answer one, two or more back to the top. And of course your programs have to be uh, monitoring that whatever you put in the stack that at the end will be used as well. Also, Postscript, uh, the page description language for the printer, printers, uh, is stack-based. In here, in Tato, there was a research group uh, that actually did program in fourth most of the time, and they made compiler compilers, abstract uh, uh, programming languages where you could define new programming languages Um, and the engine was done in fourth so I I, for example learned some of my first recursive programs in programming in fourth as part of I think second or third second year coursework or something like that now (laughs) stacks you know everything but what you add to the end you pop from there but how much memory did you reserve for your stack You make, it, you make a depth-first search and you want to backtrack, you make a depth-first search in the large graph or large tree, and if you did not reserve enough memory, what happens? Because that becomes full. What do you do then? What do you do? Say that out of memory, stop. Eh? And the uh, user on the web sees this strange error and they can't read their definitely news. You run out of stack. When when it becomes full, of course the natural thing would be, okay, let's try to do something with it, with this, let's allocate more more space, copy all the elements and then add it, right? Okay, it became full, tough luck. Happens time to time, but let's correct for it, make let's make now more memory. We need to copy everything there, and then we can do the operation. What is the time? Complexity of this? Linear. Linear. So if if you now went back and implemented this procedure, does this make the entire stack behave as linear time algorithm. So procedure is simple, that that when you have certain So at the maximum reach, then you may want to reserve more space and then you can carry on as if nothing happened. But to go from there to there, we have copied elements, right? How do we analyze the situation like this uh, asymptotically? Is the stack now linear time data structure? No? In the worst case, maybe. In the worst case. <laughs> well, in the worst case, we, we do go to infinity with n. Trust me, we can increase always n, million fold. And if that is not enough, another million fold. Let's just assume. Uh, uh, well, assumptions are always sometimes bad. Let's let's somehow assume that we have we have got extended memory and and, and we have reached near critical point again, or uh, or this is the. Okay, let's let's make the. We were lucky. Two times m equals n, and that's exactly the bound that we ever got. right? Just before we need to copy it again. So how much work we have done to get to this point? We know that in here we have copied n half elements. How did we get to this point? To get to this point, we have had to face the problem that we have copied n over 4 elements once. To get to this point, once we have copied these elements, n over 8, And some of all of these, these should come now very naturally. You, you know this, uh, the World Congress of Mathematics, Mathematicians, with the infinite number of mathematicians showing up in the bar. Yes. The first one orders a liter of here, the second one half a liter, and the third one Quarter, and then the is stop, I will pour 2 liters of beer for all of you, infinite number of mathematicians. So, we ever needed to do n copies, and of course, all these many added elements, then every addition to the stack was 0, was, uh, 1, for every normal stack operation. And we ever needed to do n copies. And this we did. If we if we only kept adding we had n operations, in total, n copies divided by shared between all of them is one per operation on average. Yes, in here we spent more time, linear time, right? but in total, we have done only constant operations per constant time operations per element. How come? Well, this type of analysis is called uh, amortized analysis. Across all the operations, Some operations take more, some less. We want to amortize over all the operations that we ever encountered. And if we have just this procedure as we said, the simplest possible you just grab more memory and you you keep copying we have not wasted more than constant time per original operation. We could have absorbed that up Every time we add element, we somewhere put the potential energy, oh, maybe I need to copy it once, and and we sort of build up the potential energy and then we release it. And this is one of the techniques to do the amortized analysis by defining what is the potential energy. And then you suddenly, in one operation, you release all of that. This one operation takes more time, but over all operations, the uh, average time is still constant for every operation. divide this off to just mentioning here that we have amortized analysis. We have talked so far about the worst case, the the average case, but this is quite often um, useful that we have the so-called amortized analysis. Some operations take more, Linear, linear time obviously in this case but when you amortize it to all the operations that ever were needed then it's uh, it's still constant time element um, uh, uh, constant time work per, per operation uh, you could ask what will happen when you want to release the memory then after, uh, you don't need to release immediately but uh, when you get half full again and uh, When you get half full and there you don't want to give up all this memory immediately. You wait until this one is half full and then you give up this part and you're sort of a little bit conservative in releasing. And then in this way you can argue that you can handle the insertions as well as deletions in constant time uh, because then you you still don't need to copy too much. So you can handle both the insertions and deletions in the same amortized cost of constant time per element. So this is over the lifespan of the algorithm. Um, Okay. um, So uh, we have about half an hour, I'm just trying to think of what to be it here. Coming back to lists and dictionary abstract data type, um, oh, okay, I think we went through already. It is some key in the dictionary, if it's a linked list, then you have to go through of this, blah, 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 uh, let's, um, I think you have that. But if you have array and sorted list, then the dictionary is a binary search, right? Binary search, you look at the middle point, should the value be before or after. I'm sure that three quarters of you use the built-in binary search and you did not try to implement it yourself. Is that true? Okay, Uh, if you implement the code like this, which is in every textbook, this one is broken. This one is broken, sorry. Every textbook says that to access the middle point you take low index plus high index divided by 2. Between 1 and 9, 10 divided by 2 is 5. Between 1 and 9, 5 is the middle element. Right? Why is this broken? You engineers, you want to go to work for Google. (laughs) <laughs> how, how do I balance? <laughs> Back there, why is this broken? You want to go to work to Google and you take the exact textbook copy with this code and that Google guy say that this is broken. Do you observe the problem Is there? Because the answer might not be integer. So, uh, answer might not be integer. I mean, uh, the lowest plus highest.
1: When you have integer and int- integer
0: divided by integer, integer division always gives you integer. It is the floor of the integer. Yeah, if yeah. it's 4.5, it's 4, right? Yeah. So that is handled by the programming language definition of the integer division. In that case, yeah, but I mean, if you think the textbook like, uh, like No, I, I, th- I, think, I think it's, some, I think it's uh, defined there that we this think. is what you get. Right like there. Ideas. Why is this broken? Why would that be broken for Google? Actually, it was a Google engineer who said that all the textbook code was broken. <laughs> <laughs> they observed it the hard time, the hard way. It might overflow. Uh, if you have 32 big integers, then that is 4 billion values. 4 billion is small, but now, now it's a data if you have if you run to the end of the list and you want to do it between 3 billion and, and 3 billion and 500 million right so then you would have to uh, add 3 billion to 3 billion 500 million and that is way beyond the 4 billion that is the integer size of the 32 bit integers yes your data would fit in the memory but if you you may have the integer overflow at this moment. And this one avoids that by just uh, uh, taking the low. Well, you know that low and high, it has to fit in the memory, right? And then you just uh, add the half of the difference in here, but you don't increase the value. This will be a small value, but two is even smaller. So low plus small value, you're still between low and high. Okay, um, what is uh, the next thing that you would do with this? Well, if I say that I don't allow, or your programming language somehow says that recursion is not allowed, what do you do then next? How many of you would write this as iterative code? Two, three, four? What is in here is that you have the some uh, tests, you return some values, you calculate, and now you, you do, depending on the choice, if, it, if the middle point is larger than the value you search for, you, you should look from the first half, otherwise you should look from the second half, otherwise you just return that that value was equal and you have found it indexed to the equal that position. The last thing that you do. Leaving this procedure is you return the answer, found, not found, or you call the recursion. Right? So the recursion is the last thing that you do when you leave this procedure, and that is called a tail recursion. It's a little bit hidden in here, but it's called a tail recursion, and it turns out that tail recursion you can always replace by a cycle. As long as low is less than uh, equal to high, then you just do the same tests. And when you run out of this, wh- why would you go to this uh, binary? Uh, why would you go to this situation rather than start again from here to test, right? You just replace by the cycle. Yeah. Uh, so in the binary search, of course, this doesn't uh, save you too many. Uh, Subroutine calls, that in some other cases it may be beneficial for the code rather than building up the, the function call stack in the deep recursion to get rid of this deep recursion by just doing iteratively with the cycle. Um, And, uh, okay. So we perform logarithm of n in binary search. But this is only when we have the sorted data. So that's why sorting was useful. Uh, Sorting is, I remember when I was studying that uh, some IBM guy had said that on the modern computers, whatever the mainframes, so something like 30, 40, if not 50% of the time goes to sorting. So CPUs just sort, sort, sort. So that was the biggest amount of time for sorting. I don't think that this is uh, any more the case. Uh, but at some point it just needed to sort a lot. Uh, now, Sorting, of course, is that we want to have the situation that you only monotonically have equal or larger values when you go from left to right. Now, the thing is that the, the sorting, you have how many different ways, you have n elements, uh, how many different uh, inputs you could have with n elements. And it could be any permutation, right? Any of the n could be the first n choices for the first, n minus one for the second, etc. So you have n factorial uh, things. And now that when we analyze the sorting, somehow we we can make the argument that there is n factorial possible orderings, and in order to figure out from any of those reorderings, the only single one that is correct ordering where this is satisfied, is that we have in the beginning n factorial choices and we have to make some comparisons to figure out which one is the sorted one. Uh, and uh, by argument uh, of the so-called decision-tree argument, you can see that, well, this is the data set of three elements, it has 9, 4 and 6, and only one permutation would be sorted. 2, 3, 1. 2, 3, 1 would be sorted, right? But you don't know that in advance. You have you have this per, this input and the question is how do we figure out what is the final ultimate sorted order? Uh, index is 2, 3, 1. And what happens is that we say that what, the restriction that we do, the only assumption is that we are only allowed to compare. Two things with each other and we get yes-no answer or plus one zero or minus one one answer like in the computer code right larger equal smaller but basically we get this is it strictly larger or not right just yes no answer if you have yes no answer then all the permutations, there is n factorial permutations, and with a single comparison, is first element larger, uh, is first element smaller than the second, and obviously it is not 9, it's larger than 4. So the answer in here is not, therefore we can branch to this side of the, this so called decision tree. Now we may want to uh, compare first and third. And still observe that no, first is not smaller than the third, therefore, still to the next side. And now we know that one is the largest, and now we need to compare two and three, and we observe that two is smaller than three, therefore, the correct answer is two, three, one. Two, three, one is the correct order, four, six, nine. So every leaf contains one of the permutations, and in every choice, we can branch this decision tree. Now, what was the complexity? What will be the complexity of this algorithm? That will be how many tests did we perform? In this case, three tests. If you are lucky that everything is sorted, maybe you just need linear number of tests. From one to second, okay. Two to third, okay. Third to fourth, okay. You may branch uh, quickly n element. Uh, but on some other permutation, on some other input, you may need to take longer path. Right? Now, what is the worst case complexity of such decision tree? It will be the length, the longest the length of the longest path on such decision tree. How many operations? You need to answer this and this many questions before you know which leaf you end up in. So basically the you have the tree and what we care about is the worst case path by comparing down to this leaf that this was in fact the correct answer. This is very abstract algorithm, right? Um, now the thing is that with every single test, you can have yes or no answer. You can do two branches. With every single test, you can only go sort of divide your set of answers in the leaves to two halves, and and that's what you what you would do. So, so basically, in all the leaves, we have n factorial elements. And now the question is, in the optimal case of the tree, what is the Depth H, the deepest depth H. Optimally, is when this tree is fully balanced, is always a choice we can split it to equal sizes. What is the age? What is the height? You, you can argue the other way that you start from the top, you have two sets, four, two, four, eight, etc. Ultimately you would need to have n factorial leads, right? So the depth will be, in the optimal case, will be uh, logarithm of uh, n factorial. Is this logarithm of n factorial, that is the depth at least, right? We have n, you have n factorial leads. You can name this n leaves, right? And then what is the depth of this optimal flat tree, the deepest depth is log of this n. So what is decided? If you know Stirling's formula, then you know that this is n log n minus n log e, or it's big omega of n log n. Um, Is there anybody who knows steering formula from any course? I did not think so. (laughs) Um, But what we can do is much simpler, well, we can do something simpler, so a little bit of mathematics. So we want to analyze what is the fastest algorithm that can sort elements, right? And the fastest one is so that the decision tree is the the flattest, somehow, but still the depth of that tree would be log of n. And they would argue that log of n has to be slower than big omega of something, right? Uh, How do we calculate log of n factorial? log of the multiplication is the sum of the logs of individual parts, right? So log of factorial is log of n plus log of n-1 plus log of n-2 plus log of 1. Is this p go of n log n, not more than n log n? Is this yes? By which argument? Well, we can count every uh, summand with uh, log n, and there are n elements. Yes. So this one is already smaller than this one, and there is n elements. So n times log n is definitely larger than uh, than this sum. Right? So we have this. But the question is, how do we prove this? Somewhere in this sum is log of N over two plus. So what is this part of the sum? It will be more than n n over 2 elements in here, and the smallest is this one. It will be definitely larger than n over 2 times log of n over 2. It will be more than this, but we can throw out the constants. This will go up. So basically, uh, by this argument, this has to be larger than, throw out the constants, it has to be larger than n log n. So these are just different ways to have the same argument, the sums. So we say that this is larger than... We have basically different ways to prove that this thing, even if you don't know the ceiling formula, I I had no idea I never heard about that. But this is a very simple argument, right? Uh, So we have just sort of proved that for your input of n elements could be any permutation. And your sorting algorithm has to figure out one that is exactly sorted, only one of them permutations, right? And whatever you do, your best squeeze of the tree that can sort every possible permutation still has this depth. Therefore, the worst case algorithm for whatever sorting algorithm will be n log n, Assuming that we we do this. Test yes or no test at any given time comparing the two elements. So that's uh, kind of uh, well, kind of bad. We cannot do better. On the other hand, on the, on the good side, of course, that you already looked at this merge sort that takes the first half sorts, second half sorts, and then merges them together. Uh, you saw that one. Uh, this is just a merge uh, this we went and with this with this quick uh, with this merge sort analysis To sort n elements when n is 1 is just constant time right? But when n is in the generic case, it's we have split it into two parts that are independent then times to solve n over 2 elements plus the time to merge the final results And uh, on Monday I showed you this argument of the recursion tree, that we fill in this time for n elements, at the root we put this some constant time n, this is this constant part, and we put these two parts in the recursion in here, right, but again in here we can feel that this is some constant times n over 2, constant time n uh, over 2, and at every at every level of this we have some constant time n operations and it only takes logarithm of n steps to get by this division that only one element is left. Therefore logarithm of n depth times every time n work n. Therefore our Luckily, our merge sort is already theoretically optimal. You can't do better, and we have the algorithm that achieves this. Um, well, the problem with merge sort is that it requires uh, shuffling of the data. You, you merge into the new array, or you make copy and then you merge back. So back and forth, and and then there are uh, merge sort variants, variants published that are in place so that they don't require extra memory and still work in this n log n time. Uh, So that is actually quite complicated uh, arguments, and it could be much complicated, quite complicated to implement. But uh, as bonus task, I was proposing something where you just uh, don't do exactly n log n, but uh, when you need to free up space, then maybe you need to bu- uh, bubble up a little bit, the bubble up to the correct place in the other list. Can be linear time operation, but still, hopefully, there is not too many such operations. So you, you may uh, run an experiment to save anything and how much of these um, lists that go out of order. Okay, um, so that was merge thought, and then is the Practical, uh, the other very practical one, the, the good thing in the merge sort is that that is guaranteed. Whatever the input, we have the n-log n algorithm. Maybe the constant can be 2 or 3 times slower than quicksort, on average case, but the problem is that uh, it's otherwise it's quite similar, that we divide the two parts, but there is a caveat. We don't know how to split it perfectly into two. Can be almost to two equal halves. And instead of merging, we just split in the beginning, select some uh, pivot, and then larger values, smaller values, and then independently you continue on those both sides. Which, by the way, immediately hints that you could use some parallel processing power. One processor starts on this side and the other on the, on the other side. Uh, but the code is very, uh, again, sort of like high-level code is just a couple of lines of code. Um, partition, for partitioning, you can have different ways, you can have different sort of like, you can have your pivot and then you have your unprocessed uh, space. You ask, what is this value? Should it fall into the blue, end of the blue? if if it falls under the end of the the pink then you just leave it in here you take the next one next one next one then it has to go to blue then you put it in in there in this place but this pink one you can put at the end of the pink that is simple you could have different different ways this one has this is the pivot and i think it tries to start from both sides uh, until you have a mismatch that larger element is there, smaller is there, then you swap, and then you keep doing squeezing the space and you put the pivot in, the, in between. So you go as long as, as these are small, the green ones, fine, the large ones, you hit the smaller one, and once you have the pair that is mismatched, you just swap them, and then you keep processing the blue one. I think some Python uh, or Java has now built in case where there is not one pivot, but two pivots. That gives you three regions at the end. And your quicksort becomes not divided to two and to two parts independently, but after the two pivots, you compare, is it region A, B or C, and then you recurse into the one of the third phases. Uh, what where I want to head up is, uh, is the question about the pivot. So, at the worst case, what will happen is that your pivot is the largest element or the smallest and then you have just eliminated one of the n elements and you still have to process n-1 elements. And you wasted linear time to observe the smallest or largest. And if you do this argument, the same recursive uh, analysis in here, then this is time of n this time of n-1 plus linear time and then this is n plus n-1 plus n-2 plus plus n-3 etc or 1 sum from 1 to n -n, and that is quadratic and in the worst case you have a quick that is quadratic time algorithm in the worst case so the question would be uh, this is the perfect choice uh, always split into. But what will happen on average? What will happen if we, if you don't get the midpoint, if you get 10% and 90%, okay? or 5% and 95%. What will happen if you always get 1% and 99%? Is that quadratic time? So if it's 10% and 90% split, then we can use the same decision, the same recursion tree here. 1 tenth goes to this code and 9 tenth, 90% goes to that code. We keep dividing in 10 on the left, and in log n, log in base 10, n. Very quickly they run up with, with just a single element in there. The depth in here, the recursion depth in here, is logarithm, but on the base not 1 in here, this is the base of 10, so this is 9 tenth in here, so logarithm of, on the base, 1 point 1 something. And even logarithm with 1 point 1 something, this is still logarithmic depth in here. At every level there is uh, maximum linear time, but the time will be... Somewhere between this and this, so bounded by n log n from below and n log n from up. So even if you have uh, one nine split or one ninety nine split, it will still be uh, n log n sorting algorithm. Okay. Um, We will stop it here and next time uh, start from this place and try to see uh, what happens on average and what happens if we have good choices and bad choices mixed.